0: well happy Friday the 13th everyone what are you wearing at the end of the world huh hey. <laughs> gang I was supposed to be at South by Southwest this Friday so I asked my dear friend Rance Collins to host the show yeah what was that about Hi. I was so excited and I apparently I I apparently you
1: got two hosts <laughs> yeah because I wasn't leaving like they can <laughs> they can drag me out of here
0: hmm so, gang, here's what we got coming up today. Cecilia Cabello, who uh, was the state director for the Buttigieg for America campaign, will be our very first guest talking about what it was like to run the campaign for Pete Buttigieg here in the state of California. And after that, we're going to have Matthew Craffey from the Lock Cabin Club. I just, I loathe Donald Trump. So I don't know how that interview is going to go. I mean, this is,
1: I I don't exactly care for him myself. (laughs) I know, I know.
0: But Lock Cabin has endorsed Donald Trump. So we'll hear from Matthew about it. Why do you think, I don't understand. I don't
1: either. They don't even have a Democratic opponent yet. Why would they just jump on board with Donald Trump? Pure pot is in allegiance. I, it's, it's absolutely incredible. All these great
0: questions we'll have for Matthew when he calls in. Do we have to? Okay, cool. <laughs> and then we'll be. that'll be followed by Zoe Nicholson. Zoe is the leading expert on Alice Paul, one of the suffragists uh, from the last century who was behind the creation of the 19th Amendment, giving women the right to vote. Not Zoe, Alice. That's who I mean. Uh, <laughs> and She's an expert on Alice Zoe Paul. Zoe
1: is very, very, uh, one of our oldest people. Yeah, all those
0: lesbians <laughs> in the world. <laughs> She's
1: been around for She's 200 been around years. For 200 years. <laughs> aged amazing. very well. Amazing. amazing. Lots and lots of moisturizer. And
0: then finally, at the end of the show, we've got your friend Alex. Tell people who Alex is.
1: Oh, Alex Muhajer? Yeah. Alex Muhajer is a very good friend of mine. He and I are uh, two of the people behind a group called Bros for America, which was formerly Bros for Hillary. And uh, we are big in election 2020. Going to tell you a lot of that uh, stuff coming up with that.
0: Okay. Yeah. So that's a lineup. A little politics, a little virus, a little end of the world. Maybe Friday a the little of of it together.
1: <laughs> I mean, it is Friday the 13th. And it's Friday
0: the 13th. It's scary. No, not, I'm not so superstitious, no. Okay. But if a black cat walks in this room, I'm out of here.
1: I well, guess. I mean, it'd be very strange if a black cat walked into this In the room. middle of a radio station. Yeah, I mean, so we're true. on the second floor of a building <laughs> right. that I don't think allows animals. Yeah, yeah, so.
0: But, gang, so many of you are working from home today, so if you're listening to us on radio.com on that app, thank you for doing that. We're glad you're tuning in. It's kind of bizarre to be under a national emergency. Oh, by the way, the Donald has decided today he's calling a national emergency. It's Mm -hmm. like, Donald, we already did that. Like, we're we're already there. Yeah, California
1: did that already. Nation's ahead of you, Donald. Yeah, we- The whole country is ahead of you, Donald. I mean, I think that's- I think that he's about two months behind, which is why we're in this situation (laughs) right now. About two
0: decades behind, actually. Oh my God! Well, (laughs) I mean, talk about you know he's got a germaphobe. He's got an incredible fear of germs. Washes his hands constantly, and I
1: think because he had a nightmare about a germ bringing him down. Well, it's happening, isn't it? Don't you love it when there's like such clean foreshadowing like (laughs) that? Exactly. But you don't understand what it's foreshadowing, and then it turns out to be this whole other prophetic 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 situation. Did you perfect. think that he looked a little bit like, I mean, like we shouldn't speculate about someone's health right. on air. And I would but, never do that. But, but did you that, think
0: that he looked a little... That presidential address, I mean, it was even scripted and it still looked horrible. And he also
1: was in contact with that Brazilian, um, uh, The the... Hello, the, the, the press
0: minister from yes, Brazil who tested yes, positive for yes, coronavirus. for coronavirus. And, yeah. like,
1: Lindsey Graham is in isolation right now. I mean, you know, he has been his whole life. But, I mean. Well, that's because he had <laughs>
0: his head so far up. Donald Trump's ah, Buzz myself. Sorry about that. <laughs> yes.
1: Gang, okay, um, we're getting
0: ready to welcome our first guest, because in studio we've got Cecilia Cabello, who ran the Buttigieg for America campaign here in the state of California. Jason, play her on. Let's get Cecilia in the room. Oh my. Mamas and the Papas. Hi, Cecilia. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. Thank you. We're so glad you're here because with all the coronavirus scare, we weren't sure whether you'd make it. It's the
2: best time to be out and about. There's no one on the streets.
0: Nobody. I mean, isn't it incredible?
2: I was in San Francisco yesterday, and Market Street was empty—not just cars, but people. It was amazing. I
0: saw Times Square this morning on the news, completely. Just don't go to Ralph's. Yeah,
2: yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You can can go to Market Street, Wilshire Boulevard, or
0: uh, Credit Square, but uh, not Ralph's. Or Pavilions. Welcome. You uh Thank you. you ran the Pete Buttigieg's campaign for the state of California. I did. Wow. Tell us, highlights, lowlights, surprises?
2: It was amazing. It was a very different type of campaign. It was a very young campaign, metaphorically and literally. I was kind of the elder statesman. <laughs> I was like the Jimmy Carter on the campaign because everyone was so much younger than I was, <laughs> including the candidate. Um, but it was fantastic. It's usually uh, the case in a presidential cycle where you'll have the headquarters versus the states and they're two separate entities and states don't really weigh in on things like policy or strategy and I had a lot of freedom and a lot of input and in not only how we ran California but um, our national policy as well. So it was a great experience. Oh, cool. Any homophobic
0: yeah. threats that you heard of or experienced?
2: Or? I mean, there's always Twitterverse, <laughs> which <laughs> is so much fun. Um, I think there was a lot, there was uh, stuff that I wasn't exposed to personally but a lot, a lot of stuff that came to the candidate and, and headquarters. Um, Um, I think there was a lot of unspoken and very subtle and sometimes not so subtle homophobia towards Pete Mm. um, by... People who are progressive, um, but that was never really written about or talked about, um, which was what, what quite unfortunate to me. But, you know, we just pressed on. What hmm. else can you do?
0: Now, you, you've you been involved in presidential campaigns before, yes? Mm-hmm. Yep. What, who, what were the other ones? Hillary.
2: Do? Oh, Hillary. Yep.
0: Girl. I
1: know.
2: I follow Girl. you. I follow you on Instagram. Always with her. Always. <laughs> always. always. I cried all day Saturday when I watched oh, the, documentary. Watch oh, the
1: documentary. The oh, did you watch the documentary? God. Uh, it's amazing. I'm, amazing. I'm still broken. I, I, oh. I mean, I was broken already. I mean, like, I'm more broken now (laughs) than I was before. (laughs) Mm. Mm. Yeah,
2: Yeah. I know. My PTSD is a real thing.
1: Yeah, Yeah. no, it it comes in waves, too. Yeah,
2: yep, yep.
0: Did you get any criticism, Cecilia, because you were with a woman candidate last time, and this time you were with...
2: uh Candidate who happened to be gay and male. Any any critiques? There's always critiques. Yeah. I was called many things on Twitter, um, uh-huh. and you know, I, I would. It's, I mean, I went through this in the 2013 um, LA mayor's race. Where I didn't was I wasn't with the woman. I was with uh, my longtime boss, Eric Garcetti. Um, I go where my heart says to go. I don't do it for the money. I don't do it for the fame because hi, I'm unemployed. You know, <laughs> um, I believe in the candidate, and that's why I, that's why I do it. It's not necessary. I mean, it's not a bad career move, but it's not something I do to try to get the uh, acknowledgement or uh, the pat on the shoulder from the public in general, I do what I think is right. And Pete was right.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I met him a few times. He was really incredible. So smart. So charming. So wonderful. I think he's got a long career ahead.
2: Oh, of him. yeah. Oh, yeah. He's one of those people, and it was kind of like when I first met Hillary and got to staff her. it's like, oh my gosh, you're so beyond intelligent. I, I don't even know what to do with this. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's, you want those people that uh, it gives you something to aspire to and, just, and learn from. You
0: want those well-educated elites it's running the country? A, what a, what yes. a horrible oh, thing to
2: have smart people run the country. It's terrible. That's what's from happening their wine
0: caves, not. with their emails.
2: Just, you know, you know, goodness. All of the above. So I, I am not the common thread in that, by the way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Coming up next, gang. When we come back, more with Cecilia Cabello about the Buttigieg's for President campaign. Thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.
0: Such a lovely place, such a lovely face, the Hotel California. And we are still talking with Cecilia Cabello, uh, state director, California state director for Buttigieg for America. Welcome back. Thank you. You know, I've known you for a long time. You you were at, with our mayor, Eric Garcetti, and you were with the Hillary campaign. You've been in politics how long? Tw- uh, 20, I will age myself.
2: Yeah. Well, don't say 30 years. All, going on 20. Going on 20. 20 years yeah.
0: in politics. Oh, my. You know, California is a unique place. We have two U.S. senators. You know, we got the Speaker of the House. I mean, women in positions of power is nothing foreign or unusual for mm-hmm. us. But you go to lot, just about everything else in the country, <laughs> between the coasts, and it gets radically different, mm-hmm. right?
3: Right? Yeah.
2: Mean, within the state, one of the great things about this campaign, I did a lot of traveling and spent a lot of time in the Central Valley, and I'd never really, I'd been to Bakersfield before, but never been, oh, I went to Fresno once, but that was it. I'd never been to Stockton or Modesto or you know, Delano or any place. And I, it's, it impressed me because I would do these very long car trips and listen to like the Hillary uh, um, Howard Sturt interview which is amazing but oh god it's so good it's so good Uh, but seeing the literal geographic racial class diversity in this state places that you never would have thought of I always have a framework of a big city I'm from LA I'm third generation Angelino. I went to college in New York I lived there for 10 years and then Mm -hmm. I came back to LA it's all I really know are cities and just Visiting all kinds of different agricultural areas, oil fields, and Bakersfield—it was just insane. That this is a, such an amazing state, and I was so lucky to have the privilege to go meet people at places I would never have gone. Patches of blue and otherwise huge red swaths of the of the uh, state, and places that are changing not only demographically but um, partisan-wise as well. It's really wow. shifting. Um, in places you wouldn't expect, so it was great.
0: You was feel great. any sexism in any of those places you went? People that looked at you twice or scants because you were a woman?
2: Yeah, that's every day. That's not unique to that, that's not unique <laughs> that's to, in the, in you know not unique to uh, Central Valley. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, again, it's subtle, microaggressions, etc. But you know, it's one of those things where you either make it a point to pick at it and you know get mad, or you just ignore it, push on, and get your agenda done. And I always choose the latter.
1: Well, uh, let me ask this: Do you think that it was harder? selling a gay man as a candidate or Hillary Clinton, woman mm. known around the world? Good question.
2: Well, it was the two polar opposites, and it wasn't about her, her being a woman, per se, or him being a gay man, per se. It mm-hmm. was about she was known, and that was an asset and a liability. Uh-huh. He wasn't, and that was my biggest challenge to overcome.
1: Interesting. Yeah. So,
2: Yeah. I mean, it, the identity politics are always going to be a part of the conversation and especially under you know the Trump administration it's mm-hmm. it's even more exacerbated but it wasn't that big of a deal i thought it would be a bigger deal that he was gay yeah um everyone really connected especially in more uh, rural parts or agricultural parts of the state with the fact that he was a veteran mm, and religious Know spoke about faith, and they really folks really liked that. It just wasn't. I didn't have the capacity or the resources to just get them there and get them in front of as many people as I needed to.
0: Yeah. You know, it's a 100-year anniversary of women having the right to vote. Mm-hmm. Why do you think more women aren't drawn naturally into politics? Or do you think that's evolving and changing?
2: I think it is evolving and changing. I mean, we look at 2018 and we look at the presidential um, candidates, all the folks that ran in this cycle. But I think for the most part, um, it, there's a lot of concerted efforts, a lot of great nonprofit groups to get women to run, to give them the resources to run on all uh, sides of the ideological spectrum. But I think... It, running entails giving up a lot mm-hmm. um, and women already are sacrificing. They are the breadwinners. They are the ones taking care of the household. So that's given up even more, especially if you don't have a partner or someone else um, to support you in that. And it's a game where, well, I won't say game, but it, it is a field in which you, have, you don't have to play a certain way, but it's not, I think, conducive to more diplomatic styles the way it used to be in old times. Um, It's a lot more belligerent and uh, yeah, and you see how women are criticized—how they campaign, mm-hmm. whether, how they look, what they wore—you know, a jewel, piece of jewelry, their makeup, their hair. There was even an SNL skit on Amy Klobuchar about her uh, her bangs flying up and down. I mean, <laughs> uh, it, it just like it's I didn't those little that, things. So. It was hilarious. <laughs> it's um, uh, Rachel Dratch. Rachel did a, Dratch did a great, great job.
1: Uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, so it, it's you know you're you're under an even more uh, a, a greater microscope when you're a woman. There's so much more to be criticized about. No one's going to be talking about how disheveled Mr. Sanders looks every day when he goes into a I debate. Mean, I mean, I'm true. not criticizing I him. I am just saying, but his, I, I'm Game trying to be do. diplomatic. But I, but he literally will go on without his hair being combed. And if that was a woman, she couldn't get away with it.
1: Definitely not. Which is something that they the the I do highly recommend that everybody watches the Hillary on Hulu documentary. Yes. There is a little segment in that when um when they're Behind the scenes of a debate, and all it's her and a few of her advisors, and they're like, Are you gonna wear those shoes? Yeah. And she's like, Do you think anybody's asking Bernie Sanders about his GD shoes? Yeah. You know? Well, she
2: also said, I calculated it and I spent a month getting ready of the 15 months of the campaign, 15, 16 plus months. Like yeah. the, the time she had to wake up earlier hair. to get her hair done, to get her makeup done, that, that came out to about a month worth yeah. of time.
0: Yeah. You're a native Angelino. What drew you? Cecilia Cabello into politics?
2: Um, I think that I was very interested in seeing change and I think that everybody has a role. There's community activists that are out in the streets protesting and we need those folks. I was really interested in where the power lay to actually make that legislative change and that's really where I got into it. So I, was, I asked myself how, why are things this way and who's making those decisions and then how do I become one of those people or how do I actually just get a seat at the table?
0: Good question. You ever thought about running for office? Nope. Because. Because?
2: <laughs> I am not willing to give up my privacy and, uh, and subject my poor husband and my family to um, what it would
1: entail. To, to run for it.
2: office. And I think that you can have as much influence uh, doing behind-the-scenes work as well. What
1: yeah, you didn't know is so we are going to expose you right now, right now live now, on air. We have all of your radio. dirty secrets.
2: <laughs> it's not a long list, so go ahead. It's, I have time.
0: <laughs> it's so true. Life in a fishbowl. Every
2: comment yeah. I make on
0: Grinder yeah. ends up a subject of public controversy. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear what John Durant said today?
1: Wow. Well, maybe Grinder's the problem.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no! I refuse to give up my gay identity. I Absolutely not, uh. <laughs> Cecilia. Um, w- what do you think now? Yeah, Biden's going to be the nominee. You think? Yeah, he's gonna, uh, it's going to. You be, think he's going to beat Trump in November?
2: It's too early to tell. I think that he has a really good shot. I think if the economy is still uh, in a downward spiral, spiral which was and before coronavirus was predicted, um, mm-hmm. but this is what he, people are calling his Katrina. Um, and things are on this path and there is that uncertainty and there are people who are unemployed who are not getting benefits, who are not working, who are not able to sustain themselves because everything is shut down, it's only going to be worse for him. But it all depends on how big the turnout is and that's the big X factor as we saw with Hillary. Mm. Yeah.
0: Always the case. We need to wrap up but throughout the rest of this year, we'll be doing a focus on the politics. Can we have you come back as a talking head? I would love You're to. You're a good talking head. Wonderful. Uh, uh, thank great you. Great level of Marianne, expertise. Test. So, thank yeah, you. yeah, we'd love to have you back.
2: Thank you so much.
0: <laughs> Coming up next, gang. When we come back, we'll be talking to Matthew Crafty from the Log Cabin Club. Thanks for tuning in, and thank you to Cecilia Cabello. Thank you. Here on Channel Q.
4: We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch.
0: Free will by Rush, lyrics inspired by the writings of Ayn Rand, which absolutely may have little to nothing to do with the Log, in, cl- log Cabin Club or everything to do with the Lock Cabin <laughs> Club, depending how you look at it. Matthew Crafty, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Good to have you. We got uh, Rance Collins uh, in studio with us. You know, Rance, we were all on a panel together uh, for yeah, election night. Uh, he's good. He's actually just walking our last guest to the back to the reception area. He'll be back in a moment. Thanks for, for joining us. Um, I My mean, we're, we're having to do all of our guests from this point forward by telephone, we've been told here at Channel <laughs>
5: Q. Because, yeah, um, we were kind of uh, thinking ahead on that. Yeah, we... we were ahead of it. We had you already <laughs>
0: scheduled by telephone, but to uh, minimize really? uh, the contact, I think, think besides being uh, a log cabin, uh, are you an officer with the log cabin, Matthew?
5: What are... um, yeah, so I'm state chairman. So I'm chairman of Log Cabin, California. Okay. So i oversee the 10 chapters in the state of California for state, log cabin.
0: State chairman of Log Cabin, wonderful. Uh, and uh, you are also a professor at Cal Lutheran, is that right? And doing poli-sci or?
5: No, I'm actually, I was a poli-sci major at Cal Lutheran. Um, I work now for UCLA. Oh. Um, but in the external affairs and development area.
0: Now, I, I, you know, I'm old enough. I've been in politics longer than the dear Rance Collins has been on the planet. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry <laughs> Rance. But it's good. It's, uh. it's true. And so... Um, during the 80s, we had to work out HIV and AIDS policy, and I worked hand-in-hand with Log Cabin and their leadership at that time, Frank Ricciazzi, and Terry right. Hamilton, and-, and Marty Keller, and uh, Stan Barry, yeah. and all these Log Cabin guys from all over the state, uh, be- and we had a common enemy. We had a virus, and so we didn't have the luxury. Right. We would kid each other at you know lunch or coffee and rib each other about... Politics from time and time, but we actually had a common enemy that forced us to work together. And um, you know, I haven't I haven't felt that same sort of relationship with Log Cabin as of late. And I guess it's because I loathe Donald Trump so much I can't yet even <laughs> get my head around why anybody would want to support him. And so that's why we have you on the show so we we can uh, we can <laughs> reconnect and at least still remember we do have bigger common enemies like another virus Ooh. out of control.
5: Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate that and you know it's a, it's a good point to bring up i mean if you think back to you know log cabin started in 77 and um it really it started to as a way to defeat the briggs initiative which would have um kept openly gay teachers from teaching in schools if it had passed in california and um you know we we worked with um every different community that we could work with in the 80s to, to fight HIV because, yeah, it was bigger than politics. And Well, and Law um, Cabin was that,
0: helpful in getting Ronald Reagan to come out against Proposition exactly. 6, against mm-hmm. the Briggs Initiative. Yep.
5: Yeah, so how, I mean, for for those that don't know, what, what ended up happening was um, Proposition 6 was, was looking like it was going to pass. I mean, it was ahead a in polling by a large margin um and uh, and it would have then, banned
0: gay men and lesbians from teaching in public schools right that was the effort.
5: exactly yeah. yeah yeah and um Reagan who had a number of um, openly gay republican friends um, those friends went to him and said like look you you carry a lot of clout with religious conservatives um we need you to to come out and say something about this and and Reagan said yeah no I totally agree and so he came out very publicly and said, this is un-American. Um, and, you know, he, he encouraged everyone to vote against it. And really in a very short period of time, the polling flipped and um, and it lost by a large margin. And so one of the things that came out of that, though, was, was Reagan told his friends that, you know, they need to get organized because this is these types of things will keep happening because there was a the backlash at that point to... Um, you know, equality for the LGBT community that was starting to happen in the seventies, and so that's really where the group was was formed. And really, you know, I think there was a lot of um, working together with probably other groups like Stonewall and people in the community to fight. You know, when the when the AIDS crisis happened, um, working together on that, I think. You know, things started to get kind of polarized in, in the '90s when you had Pat Buchanan and some of those that came out and wanted to insert, you know, anti-gay language into the party platform, and that became more of a. It, it really put people in the corners of if you're a Republican, you must not like gay people, and if you're a Democrat, you must like gay people, and and that's that kind of I think started the, you know, you're my friend or you're my enemy um, way of viewing things. And then, you know, I think between, I think having a 24 hour news cycle like we have now that accentuates our differences where people tune in to hear a viewpoint that speaks to what they already have, but probably hardens it a bit. Um, if you hate Donald Trump, you, you know, tune tune into MSNBC and you will find 50 more reasons to hate him. If you love Donald Trump, you tune into Fox and you'll find 50 more reasons to love him And if that's the America we're living in, no wonder, you know, we um, we have we're having such a hard time viewing things the way that we used to when we had 30 minutes of news and we had to cover all of the big (laughs) news in the world and, you know, 30 minutes each day um, back in back in the 80s and 90s. So, you know, that's a big I think that that's a big part of it. Obviously, you know, President Trump is a polarizing figure. That's a big piece of it, too. But I think a lot of it was already happening before Trump um, because I've been involved with this long enough. And and I've had, uh, you know, liberal LGBT friends of mine, you know, stop being friends with me over my politics long before Trump, um, even though I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty center, right? Like and I don't think I have all the answers. I never come into a conversation in a um Abrasive way, or say, "Well, if you believe something different than me, you're wrong." But even just my party registration was enough to not, you know, to, to basically be seen as an enemy of the LGBT community. And that's kind of that's sadly where we're at. We we get we're finally to a point now within the party. We have a lot of um, allies and friends, and yet when we leave the party and we go into the Sometimes LGBT circles—that's where we're getting—that's <laughs> where we're getting the pushback and some of the.
1: So are um, are you saying the- that since the log cabin Republicans have endorsed Donald Trump, are you saying that Donald Trump is also center right as you are? Do you do you view him that way?
5: Um, I think on most things, yeah, and I think on LGBT issues, you know, he's definitely the most. Um, Pro LGBT president, Republican president, we've ever had. And he's the first president that ever came into well, office.
1: Well, I mean, like that's a very that's a very low bar to set. Honestly, I mean, just explain to me what you think he's done. I mean, he wanted to ban trans people from the military. How is that? How is that pro LGBT? Well, we, well,
5: we could have. It's it's a more complicated policy than that um i don't necessarily agree with every single thing he did just like you probably didn't agree with every single thing president obama did um i i think on the whole um i agree with more of the, the policy initiatives than i disagree with them the trans policy is one that was very complicated and one of my close friends gina roberts who's on my board who's trans you know, I worked with her a lot and, and going through to see, you know, what does this actually mean? It, there was, there were people, basically what the rule says is if you already are trans and you're grandfathered, and if you want to join and you are trans, that's fine. Well, they had to figure out what the rule meant
1: after he said it, actually, because he just uniformly said it and then they figured it out, which is the problem with with everything that Trump does. He doesn't know what he's saying. He just says something to inflame things. And then he goes on and he... He figures it out after he says it, which is exactly what's going sure. on with this coronavirus right now. So it seems like a pretty bold period to say that you are endorsing Donald Trump as a log cabin Republican because he's completely bungling everything that's happened right now. Uh, John, are we about to go to commercial? Yeah, yeah,
4: but time out, kids. Well, on that note. <laughs> Ransom,
3: Matthew, time out. Hold both those thoughts.
0: Coming up next gag after the break, more talking with Matthew about log cabin club, Trump, and the current politics we find ourselves in here on Channel Q. I love that song. I'm so sorry. Rance, my young millennial. You have any idea who sings that? No. Not a clue. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know lots of older things, Matthew, though.
0: Matthew Graffi, you you're kind of a, my generation. Uh, do you know who that was singing the song Surrender?
5: Uh, uh, I don't, <laughs> uh, actually. All right. Jason?
0: Oh, no.
1: You gave me the name and I still <laughs> forgot. <laughs> all
5: right.
0: Now I'm feeling like the oddball in the room. That was Cheap Trick singing Surrender, oh, a song I like often t-shirt. identified with conservative principles. I don't know if oh, you I knew that. Uh? You can no. play that at your next Pretty Log cool. Cabin ga- Gathering, Matthew.
5: I think right we on. probably will. <laughs> it's going right on my playlist. <laughs> Gang,
0: we're talking to Matthew Craffey, State Director for the Log Cabin Club, and Rance Collins is my co-host for the day. Uh,
1: yes, I am
0: here. My young millennial friend, who I adore. <laughs> um, and John,
1: who I tolerate. Yes, he he does. Yes, he does.
0: (laughs) That's another whole show segment we could do. Matthew, let's talk about uh, something for a second because uh, Law Cabin, when it got started, because I remember when it got started, uh, was all about individual responsibility, about free market Mm -hmm. capitalism, about a strong defense and and strong foreign policy, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, about strong economic principles. A lot of that doesn't seem to be at the center of the current uh, Trump Trumpism. Instead, it's become it, it, it's not exactly that. I mean, there are elements who still support free markets and capitalism, but uh, it seems like uh, it's only for certain segments uh, of the uh, economic classes. And and there's others who are saying, how can we be strong hawks on foreign policy when we're cuddling up to to Russia or to to China? Just it seems like some of those principles have gone to the wayside and been replaced by something new that i'm not even sure has completely morphed or 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 ended up coalescing around any uniting principles uh, and i'm just saying this as an outsider i'm not in the party right. you're in the party you're under their big tent you're you're probably <laughs> sitting there at your law cabin table having some people come up and say I'm glad you're here and other people coming up and telling you here's a bible pamphlet you're going to hell so how how do how do you sense what's happening with within the GOP?
5: Well, there's a couple different things. So, I mean, I, I think on that last point of uh, acceptance within the GOP of the law cabin and, and the LGBT community, I mean, just in the eight years that I've been actively involved, I've seen a, you know, a night and day difference um, in terms of you know one by one uh state party platforms changing we're hoping that the national platform this this time around coming will also change on this um you know we're log cabin is an officially chartered volunteer organization within the california republican party which there's only a handful of those organizations that can even meet those requirements um and we on our first vote one with the support of over 80% of the delegates. Um, When we were up for every two years, you have to be re-voted to hold your charter. We had over uh, 90%. So it's changing through us being ourselves, being there, being present, having the conversations of who we are and why, why, um, you know, we why we exist and and why we're cons- just as conservative as someone else, even though who we sleep with might be different than um, what they grew up being told was the norm. Um, so that's, that's on that point. In terms of how all of that fits in with uh, president Trump. Um, I, I disagree on if we want to start with foreign policy. Um, he has actually increased military spending. Um, it was the Navy and different aspects of the military were depleted. Um, We have increased military spending so that if we need to use the military, we can. But what I think we've learned after the Bush years and to some extent the Obama years is that we can't just step into every foreign policy um, problem. And and the the doctrine that Trump, I think, is implementing, which I think is a smart one, is, is economic leverage you know, using sanctions instead of sending troops. Um, That is, we still have the world's most powerful economy and I think when countries step out of line, the first line of defense that he's using, which is very smart, in my opinion, is to do sanctions, is to to economically try to rectify the situation rather than send troops. In regards to Russia, the sanctions we have against Russia are much tougher than than the sanctions we had against um, Russia during the Obama administration in terms of us being energy independent and trying to get the pipeline for, that's going into Germany from Russia rerouted, that doesn't help Russia, that helps us. <laughs> the fact that we are selling um, weapons to Ukraine, that's something that the Obama administration wouldn't do. Um, even the ambassador that, that served under him admitted that that was always an issue. But, but let me, We're let doing me, that. Let so none just, of those things let, are let me, actually closing up to Russia. It's, I think, when he talks about, you know, having a relationship with Putin. Um, those are the things that I remember when George W. Bush was leading office, the Obama administration officials said, you know, they squandered that relationship with Russia. We're going to have a reset button. We're going to reset. Really, They were all for that. Now, all of a sudden, we're supposed to hate Russia. They're supposed to be our number one enemy when all I think Trump is saying is let's try to see what we can work together on and the things we can't work together on we're leaving the sanctions on and i I don't think that that's a crazy proposition
0: matthew you know what i'm gonna have to have you come back into the segment because i have so many things to respond to just about everything you said
5: (laughs) but we're at the top of the
0: hour and we got to go so
5: i have (laughs) learned to come back on to have a
0: more thorough discussion but i want to thank you for coming on the sidebar and joining rance and i today
5: thank you for having me i look forward to coming back all right thank
0: you very much right, gang we'll be back after this uh with uh, zoe nicholson on the history of alice and the suffragettes and the 19th amendment here on channel q the amendment by Annie defranco a song about the 19th amendment as we bring in our next guest zoe nicholson zoe welcome to the show
3: well, thank you so much. I wish it was a sunny day. We're going to make it sunny for everyone. <laughs> Just
0: by the topic, I think. You are an expert on Alice Paul and her life. And for our listeners that are tuning in, many at home on your radio dot com because they're under house arrest in the current coronavirus. Uh, can you tell us a little bit who, who was Alice Paul and why should we care?
3: Well, I'm going to tell you one of the most pivotal moments that will illustrate the question, the answer, and amaze people. In July of 1909, Mrs. Pankhurst was teaching her suffragettes all about the game plan to get the vote for women in England. And the meeting was held in Royal Albert Hall in summer of 1909, and Mrs. Pankhurst decided at that moment to begin using violence. She was recommending that they set buildings on fire and break windows and create mayhem, that they'd tried to be nice too long and was ready to go for it. And interestingly, there were two people in that group that got up and when they left, they never went back. And one is Mohandas Gandhi, as you know, the master of nonviolence, who went on to work on the Free India campaign, and the other was Alice Paul, and Alice Paul did not agree with using violence. She got up and walked out of that meeting. When she came back to America in January of 1910, she began using nonviolent direct action here in the United States, 10 years before Gandhi, She fasted longer than Gandhi. She was force-fed more times than you can even count. Gandhi was not. (laughs) But she was the first person in history to ever march on Pennsylvania Avenue to the White House for a political reason. And so what we have is we actually have a human being that... Was the original practitioner of nonviolent direct action. She's an American and she's a woman well before Mahatma Gandhi began his campaigns. Hmm.
0: She was uh, raised as a Quaker, right? And uh, is it partially because of her Quaker religion? Because Quakers have always thought women were equal. That was always, never an issue for Quakers.
3: You are 100% correct. I, I'm so pleased you know that. Not only were uh, the Friends, Society of Friends, the Quakers, believed in equality, but they also had something almost none of us saw as girls. I'm 71, and I certainly didn't see much of it. And being raised Catholic, I saw none of it. Was that Women were preachers. Women were standing in the pulpit. And speaking of the gospel and the teachings of their church, so they had role models as young girls. Yes, she was a Quaker, she was a descendant of William Penn, she was born in New Jersey, and it absolutely figured heavily into her life.
0: At the time, I think the president of the United States was Woodrow Wilson. Am I right? Is that uh, who the president was?
3: She, yes, I must tell you, you're you're hitting a, a, probably the highest point. <laughs> and uh, Mr. Wilson was elected uh, in 1912, and he was going to be installed on March 4th. The Presidents were inaugurated in the month of March, and so Miss Paul decided to disrupt the inauguration oh and she did something I thought was masterful. She marched everybody up Pennsylvania Avenue, eight thousand people and uh eight thousand women to let Mr. Wilson know that he was not going to get away with ignoring giving every American the vote. Mm. And uh, one of my favorite visions, imagine this, He, Mr. Wilson arrives at Union Station in Washington, D.C. at three o'clock, the day before he's supposed to be inaugurated, there is a man to meet him, and that's it, there's nobody else there. He can't believe it, why aren't there buntings, why aren't there people, why aren't? isn't there a band? And he says to this man, where is everybody? and And this man tells the president elect that uh, oh well, they're all marching up to the White House right now to protest <laughs> and to demonstrate for the vote, so <laughs> you know the the parallels with Wilson and our current president are are staggering, and even uh, the New York Times recently wrote about it that Mr. Wilson in nineteen eighteen lies to the country about a flu. And that flu kills 6,000 Americans.
0: That was the Spanish flu, correct?
3: He called it the Spanish flu as part of his racism. Mm. It had nothing to do with people of Spanish descent. And kind of like
0: the Chinese flu of today, uh, yeah. what they're calling it, the I Chinese that,
3: flu. And, and the terrible problem that we're having with people being afraid now of Chinese restaurants and mm-hmm. Chinese retailers. And yes, it is, the parallels are staggering.
0: You know, I don't, I don't think people realize that the, the suffragists, uh, when they were fighting for the right to vote, were routinely uh, treated with, with ridicule. Uh, violence, uh, I mean, men physically overpowering them, taking them down, subjecting them to physical violence. I mean, it was not, you know, like you see in the Mary Poppins story with votes for women and cute little, I mean, that's part of the story. But the other part of the story is that there were uh, very aggressive men who were physically uh, violent in their response to the suffragists being out and doing these protests.
3: I'm not sure a lot of people understand that. I'm happy you brought it up. Uh, I want to say that one of the real issues around suffrage, around women being able to vote, that threatened men deeply, was because there was concern that if women got the vote, they would vote in favor of prohibition. And the Democrats, all these gentlemen from Kentucky, right, and, and uh, a little uh, wild turkey whiskey and uh, so forth, there was great, great concern. So when... Miss Paul's march uh, turned the corner with Inez Mel Holland on her white horse at the start. There were thousands and thousands of Southern Democrat men. Women were not in public. Ladies were not supposed to be in public. Mm-hmm. Their men were by and large wildly inebriated. And they turned the corner and and completely crushed the parade there were over 200 ambulance calls the 175 injuries mm. the police refused to protect the women and to demonstrate to your audience how zoe hold that thought have- we, hold that thought we got to go to break but coming up
0: next gang more about this incredible history as we celebrate women's history month we're talking to zoe nicholson here on channel q Ah, oh, the lovely Chris Williamson, singing sister. Welcome back, Zoe Nicholson. We're talking about everyone's well, favorite know, sister, I,
3: Alice so Paul. I'm so glad I got back. I need to finish that story. Yes, you do. Back We're the... all
1: in suspense yeah, we've right been now. We're sitting on pins and needles.
3: I wanted. I just wanted to mention that it, the abuse was so bad at that parade and ongoing throughout the entire suffrage campaign that on March 5th, the day after the inauguration, Congress opened up an inquiry into the refusal of the police of Washington, D.C. to take care of the women, and mm. the actual head of the police department ended up being fired. Mm. So it, it was a very big deal, many many. many injuries. I mean, the fight for
0: the 19th Amendment went on for 80 years, 100 years. I don't even know how long. How long did it take for the 19th Amendment to pass?
3: Well, I would say that the first time enfranchisement was mentioned was in 1848 in seneca falls wow. yeah so i would say 72 years for white women to get the vote
0: that is um, and a good point it, white it, it, just white women getting yes. the right to vote yes. in yes well all
3: women got to vote through the 19th amendment but those who were able to practice it immediately were white
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah
3: and, if, and t- it took 1965 for african-american women to be able to vote mm. wow
0: and Tennessee, I think, because the way the constitutional amendments work, you know, the Congress has got to pass them, the president has to sign them, and then three-fourths of the states have to ratify. And I think Tennessee put the 19th Amendment over, finally.
3: Well. And you're right. It was a woman named Mrs. Byrne who wrote her son, Harry, who served in the house there and said, uh, don't forget, uh, be a good boy and vote for women. (laughs) And it's very famously photographed. You can Google the letter. It's pretty amazing. And Harry did, and it was the deciding vote-making, Tennessee, number 36.
0: Yeah, isn't awesome. that amazing? And it was by one vote, because his mom said, don't you forget, son.
1: <laughs> Wait, which states yeah. didn't didn't vote to ratify? Which states said no?
0: Uh, the other the other 14. I don't know how many states there were in 1920. That's a good question. 40. I
3: think there were uh, 40, oh, my God, 46. 40, I don't know. 48. Yeah, that, I don't know. Yeah,
0: yeah, something like that. What about the current Equal Rights Amendment, Zoe? What, what's the prognosis? Well, I can't.
3: Wait to tell you, I'm so glad you brought it up. I just went to Virginia. Uh, I was actually there. You know, I fasted for the Equal Rights Amendment on water for 37 days in the Illinois Rotunda in 1982. And, uh, there were seven of us who sat on folding chairs in that rotunda, fasting on water. I was, I, many days I spent, uh, face to face with Phyllis Schlafly and some days I was privileged to sit, have Dick Gregory sit next to me, but, uh, I've been really involved in the Equal Rights Amendment written by Alice Paul in 1923, the same woman we were just speaking of. And, uh, it, it had the exact process you just mentioned, John. Yes, the Congress agrees to it. It goes out, it is signed by the president, it goes out to the states. It required 38 states. And the difference is the reason why the 38th state being Virginia, which just happened January 21st, 2020, that uh, it didn't matter as of yet is uh, because there was a deadline attached and I mentioned that so your listeners understand that of the 27 amendments that passed none of them had deadlines only one proposed amendment had a deadline and that was in fact the one that would affect women.
0: Now, why was that done? So, that must have been done back in the 70s. Why Why did they put yes, a deadline? It, it was
3: 1971, the congressional hearings. It was signed in 72. It went out to the states. It got seven years, and then uh, we all marched Seven years later, to extend the deadline they gave us, the boys gave us ten more years to get the job done. And so, actually, uh, in the last state to have voted for it was Indiana in 1977, mm-hmm. and then one by one, Nevada, Illinois, and Virginia picked up. So now we have the required 38, as you said, a supermajority. You're right about that. And they sent their documentation. To the archives, the National Archives, and the archivist has stopped from accepting them. Huh. And he has refused to certify them. And all three states' attorneys, again, Nevada, Illinois, Virginia, are now suing the archivist, that, uh, to to declare the deadline unconstitutional, and then the archivist would have to accept that there are 38 states. And at that point, that would be it. Then uh, equality of rights under the law would not be denied or abridged by the United States or any state on account of sex. It yeah. would be a great day for America.
0: That would be, but would I be wonder amazing. what this Supreme Court would do with that argument. The
3: Supreme Court has nothing to do with it.
0: Yeah, well, that's a good. Uh, well, they're suing in court, though. They're suing in federal court.
3: Well, they're going to go through, but I think that once they see the 27 amendments, didn't have a deadline. And and yeah. this one, that the deadline be declared unconstitutional. I want to just tell you, for people who really follow the detail of the law, the deadline was not part of the three sections of the ERA. It was an add-on.
0: Ah, okay. Ah, yeah,
3: exactly. Ah, okay. <laughs> I just told you the 24 words of the amendment. Yeah. I just said them out loud. <laughs> so uh, there's nothing in there about a deadline.
0: Hmm. Well, of course. The way I'm thinking, if that fails, you know, if we have another blue wave in 2020 and we, Speaker yep. of the House, Nancy Pelosi, <laughs> gets it through without a deadline and we retake the Senate and the Senate gets it through and a new president signs it then how quickly can we get to three-fourths? That's well, a good I don't question.
3: think that... I don't. I would not hold my breath sending that out to the states. I would rather take the 38th to sign, because many, not many, but a handful of states have already asked to rescind. Oh. So I, I don't... I also want to say danger, danger, Will Robinson, that hmm. we don't want to open up the idea of new amendments to the states, because I do think women's rights to choose uh, to... to manage their own family planning and Mm -hmm. their pregnancies would be threatened deeply by that Mm -hmm. so I'm going with the 38 you know the amendment that actually became the 27th amendment is the Madison amendment and that took 203 years to pass and by the way its content is about raises for salary raises for Congress so I think there's tremendous evidence that a deadline is unconstitutional
0: yeah. Well, I hope your argument is sound and right and prevails because yeah, I don't want to start. <laughs> I don't want to start over either. It's, uh, it's uh, too crazy-making. Yeah. Much too crazy-making. Well, the house it. just
3: passed House Resolution seventy-nine just passed uh, about three weeks ago, declaring it unconstitutional.
0: Hmm okay awesome and uh, does that have to go to the senate for concurrence apparently not
3: well it will but we're obviously we're waiting for next january
0: yes thinking we may have a new senate majority yes
3: when we have amy mcgrath in the senate from kentucky amen to that
0: come on she's uh she seems pretty bright i've seen her commercials on msnbc i gotta remember to send her a check
1: yes yeah what's her what's her website do we know Amy uh, McGrath. I'm sh- I McGrath was going to guess
3: amymcgrath.com, Something right? Something
1: like that. Just Google Amy McGrath, everybody, and give her money, because we want Mitch McConnell out. Yeah.
3: Well, you can find her on Twitter. I posted about her on Twitter today. My handle on all platforms is online with Zoe. It's my Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. So uh, you can find Alice Paul at missalicepaul.com is my website. I'm very proud of it. It's the deepest bibliography on Alice Paul that I
0: know of. Awesome. So it has been a pleasure having you here. We're at the bottom of the hour, but I want to thank you for joining us and, and giving us this teachable moment about Alice Paul. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you, gentlemen, and happy Constitution. Yay, lucky us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yay, lucky us. Coming up next, gang, we'll be talking to Alex Mohajer, if I said that correctly. Mohajer. Mohajer, uh, yes. pardon me, about Hillary's, for, uh, no, Hillary's for America, Bros for America. Yes.
4: Oh, it's my little birthday song. <laughs> oh, it makes up for being on coronavirus
1: yeah. lockdown. <laughs> I mean, almost. <laughs>
4: Happy
0: birthday, Alex Mohajer, if oh, I said that correctly. You. Yes, yes, you said it right. All right, yes. and uh, we're here with Rance Collins. And I'm, Hi. I'm, I'm so graced because I have the co-founders of Bros for Hillary sitting on my left and my right. That is,
1: I mean, very few people get to be in the presence of, of Bros for Hillary co-founders. <laughs> Very often, particularly since we're introverts. So uh, yeah, well,
0: I, I can tell you're both introverts.
4: Well, since 2016, LA, 2016 we into, and now we're in full 2016 PTSD. We like, oh gosh, and
1: since the Hillary <laughs> on Hulu documentary premiered, we we pretty much have been in our little caves. Yes, just morning, know, our Pete and, Buttigieg wine caves. And, yes, our billionaire
4: wine caves. <laughs> just you know, and you know, during that whole campaign, people started just like now they started accusing us of being paid. Shells mm-hmm. and yeah. operatives for David Brock and correct the record. It was really wild, just how much misinformation <laughs> was
1: distributed during that it, time. It's it's really quite funny. If I remember, one day I I slid over to my Facebook Messenger app, and um, you know, there's that filtered section, oh, and, and I hadn't section. looked at it. Ever And then I looked at it one day and I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. A lot of people really hate me. <laughs>
4: yeah. Yeah. And then I started writing for HuffPost right after the election and and the amount of hatred. Mm-hmm. It's really wild the times that we live in right now. It's a very, very. Who, who could hate you guys? I mean, hate you for what? I because mean, you were supporting
1: Hillary? I mean, that's, look at that's, starts, us, John. I mean, yes. you're,
0: you're both gorgeous gay men. <laughs> oh. That's all I see are gorgeous gay men. Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's. I think people right now, they, they hate you for your political candidate and assume that they know your ideology mm-hmm. and what you believe in because of the candidate that you support. And it's like, uh oh, that's it's I'm I'm a little frustrated with how much people right now are generalizing and thinking mm-hmm. that they know a human being. And we see that in the, see that on the Hillary for Hulu documentary, how much people assumed they understood her character and who she was. Mm-hmm. And really, you know, people are people with human
0: beings. The downside of identity okay. politics. One, people are looking for a quick Snapshot. They can identify 100. Mohajer is Persian. It's Persian. How Persian. did you know that? God, I know everything. Salam, khuba. <laughs> if you're listening, but doesn't mean oh. you're necessarily Muslim, does it? No, no. my
4: family is several generations. Uh, just agnostic, I guess. But okay. yeah, my mom is a very spirit. She's probably listening. Hi, mom. Salam. <laughs> uh, Hi. We're pretty. Sp- we're, she's spiritual, and <laughs> I I'm th- I'm am mom. a spiritual person. But no, <laughs> yeah. not, my
0: not my Muslim. producer is a Lebanese Muslim. Well, yeah. hello, producer yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Jason. Yeah. Very Jason, nice guy. Yes,
0: yes, very very nice guy. Yes. yes. <laughs> so why did you guys decide to change "Bros for Hillary" to "Bros for
1: America"?
4: What, what's oh. the point? <laughs> well, me and Rance were at Hillary Clinton's election night party. Um, it we uh, must have been dismal. We were, we on, we were
1: yeah. ground zero on, yeah. on that day, the world changed. Really. Eleven, eight. And we sixteen.
4: We were there. We were invited by the the Clinton campaign after we had worked to uh, elect her and we were pretty obviously heartbroken by that. And we came back to LA the next day and we just started having a conversation about what this means and how we move forward and mm-hmm. how do we move forward the principles and issues and the policy platform that we were fighting for into this Trump administration, and um, so we decided to to make it Bros for America, and make it an intersectional safe haven for people who wanted to fight for progressive values and causes and resist the Trump administration. So yes, it's kind of like a play on "Make America Great Again," but like you know, it was our version of that, and so. We've been working to. uh, We worked to elect progressives in the 2018 midterms, and now we are gearing up to not just the. the People like need to understand it's not just the presidency that we need to win back in November. It needs to be an up and down ticket effort. State legislatures, the U.S. Senate, particularly the U.S. Senate, very important. If anyone is interested in donating to Amy McGrath in Kentucky, she's literally just talking about her. Yeah, Yeah, great. (laughs) She's uh, seeking to unseat uh, Senator. Shitbag, Mitch McConnell. I don't know oh. if we're allowed to cuss. Sorry. you are not, not. Oh, sorry. Oh, actually, Bleep me. He, Bleep me. No, he's okay. That, that word is okay. Anything Great. beyond that word is okay. Okay. I'll behave. I'll behave. Uh, uh,
1: that's sort of there's our. There's other things and we your can call mother
4: them. is listening for Well, time. she's used to it.
1: Trust me. Trust me. As she called him worse. Yeah. Well, she's like,
4: Alex, why are you using this word? That's my mom. <laughs> yes. And I think just in general, it's a time that we, you know, we hold our elected officials. Uh, yeah. To account. Well, let me ask you guys this. Yeah. Let
0: me, so the two of you sitting there, we've got this new phenomena, uh, center left, mm. the Bernie bros, mm. who are basically saying, if it's not Bernie, I'm either sitting on my
1: hands, I'm not voting, or I'm going to vote green, or- Well, we should mention, first of all, that uh, bros for Hillary started as a response to the Bernie bro movement. Yes, um, indeed. Uh, as a response to the sort of toxicity we were yes. observing happening back in- Back in the primary, like right at the beginning of the primary, is in 2016. Uh, like February 1st, I think is the day that the the group went live and on Facebook, and then it ended up on Twitter. And we had our own, we have our own web page and everything now. Um, but it started as a response to that, and we wanted to show the reason we use the word "bros" is we wanted to show that there were uh, men out there supporting the first female president. and But we also
4: welcomed people of all genders, of all. race. Um, yes. we, we, our whole point was we're going to be inclusive and progressive, so you're welcome here. We have over 50% female membership, a strong yes. legacy of LGBTQ membership and leadership. So yes. you know, that, the response was to the Bernie bros, but to your question, what do we say to the people that are like Bernie or bust or X or bust? What I would say is we can't control what you're going to do. What I know is you're not just voting for... Joe Biden or whomever the Democratic nominee is going to be, although it appears it will be Joe Biden, you're voting for the U.S. Supreme Court. The next president will appoint at least two Supreme Court justices, and if you care about moving forward progressive policy in the United States of America, don't make it impossible by allowing an authoritarian president to stay in office and then appoint two young, very conservative Supreme Court justices who will make sure that we will never have any kind of progressive policy in Mm -hmm. this country for the next generation. Give
0: an amen, Jason! Give an amen! So it's a
4: Priority and put your put your. We have to understand that they care about what they care about because people are deeply frustrated and disenfranchised and angry. Fifty percent of the country lives in poverty, and like, and it's a huge problem. They are the the Fed just injected one point five trillion dollars into the Wall Street again. While meanwhile, you could take that money and you could give people healthcare, or you could give student loans a break and pump that money into the economy. Get everybody so people are angry contraband. and frustrated. I understand why Bernie has a massive movement and I know friends who were Hillary voters who became Bernie voters. So I understand their frustration. I understand them giving the middle finger to the process, frankly. But, you know, I am concerned about the Supreme Court and making sure we get those policies in the future.
1: And right now... Thank you, Jason. (laughs) Thank you. And right now we are... Seeing in action what happens when you have somebody who's incompetent in charge of the nation, because ultimately what a president ends up being is a crisis manager. Mm. And so when you have a crisis that we knew about in January and did nothing about because he was afraid of having too many cases uh, to uh, be too many positive cases of coronavirus that would have made him have a difficult time getting re-elected. That's the reason why there's not more testing. There was a report yesterday that he had deliberately kept the testing down to keep those numbers down to make him more electable.
4: which is outrageous. In
1: and that is, Monstrous. that yeah. should be in my opinion, that, that should be another reason for impeachment right there. There's so many reasons for impeachment. But... We need to get somebody who is less concerned about themselves and more concerned about the good of our nation. And that is one thing that we can all agree on, I think, about Joe Biden, is that Joe Biden is a decent human being who wouldn't let us die of a plague.
4: Right. But at the same time, that's a pretty – I understand people who then respond and say that's a pretty – low threshold. Like, oh, he's not going to let us die is not necessarily the qualifications I'm looking for in a president. I didn't vote for Joe Biden. I'm not a Joe Biden voter. I'll vote for him in November, but I understand people's frustration right now. And I think to appeal to them, we have to A, push Joe Biden a little further left on some of his policies. And I think this Sunday, Bernie will probably do that in the debate. So I actually encourage him to stay in for that purpose.
0: Coming up next, gang, when we come back, more with Bros for America. Thanks for tuning in here
3: on Channel Key.
0: Welcome back, gang. We are talking with Alex Mohajer and Ranch Collins, founders of Bros for Hillary, now Bros for America. Mm-hmm. And... Uh Gang, welcome back.
4: Thanks for having us.
0: Yeah, so what what is in store for
4: your upcoming shows? Cuz you
0: guys are still on the air, right? You're doing
4: We podcasts. have our podcast. It's called The Resist Report. Yep. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify. Pandora, Spotify, anywhere where podcasts are found. <laughs> we, uh, and we've had lots of amazing guests on over the of the last few years. Congressional all the congressional candidates from Orange County who ended yep. up flipping the house were on and
1: um, including uh, Someone who made a name for herself yesterday, right? Miss Katie Porter. Miss Katie yes. Hill. Katie Porter. Katie Porter. Sorry, Katie Porter and wait, Katie wait, Hill. Wait,
0: wait, wait. There's a, the difference. One and the We had both. The bisexual, Katie Hill. The bisexual yeah. with uh, nasty pictures. Katie and the Hill. Other
4: called out the CDC director. Right, yes. <laughs> Katie Hill is not in, no longer in Congress. But yes. Christy Smith in ca But she should be. She, should be. she should well, be. Well, it's a travesty. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. But... Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what we're doing. And also, we recently partnered with Mobilize America. So our we have about 35,000, 40,000 followers and members. If you are looking for volunteer opportunities, feel free to visit us at brosforamerica.com. And we have a volunteer page that can plug you into any number of campaigns mm-hmm. for phone banking, f- uh, canvassing, get out the vote drives. Well, obviously, right now, it might be via the telephone or text, but there's still ways to stay involved and get uh, working towards a massive blue wave. Visit us, Bros for america.com slash can volunteer. It, yes. Indeed.
0: So I know Rance Collins' backstory because we've been pals a while, but mm. I, I don't know your backstory. Why are you involved in politics? You're a third generation Persian American.
4: Um, yeah, first yeah. generation. My parents came here in the 1970s and when I was seven years old, my mom sat me in front of the TV and I watched Bill Clontons. Bill Clontons? Bill Clontons. Bill Clinton? Yes, not Bill, Bill,
1: Bill Clontons. I watched yes. Bill Clinton while on Clinton. People remember Bill Clinton. They do not remember Bill Clinton. <laughs> Bill Clonton. My good old
4: pal Clonton
1: um, and his wife Hollery. Um,
4: I watched the, his inauguration and I remember he said something about a youth call to service, and it kind of spoke to me. And I don't know. I've just been an activist my whole life. I went to UC Berkeley and then picked oh. up some real uh, some activist stripes there and protested Occupy Wall Street, and and I don't know, I, I care about the outcome of this country. You know what it is, is my mom is an immigrant who came to this country to give her kids a better life and yeah. sacrificed a lot. And so for me, it's personal that we create a world and an economy that works for everybody, that provides opportunity to everybody. And it's personal because people sacrificed to have that American dream be available to their children and their children's children. So to me, it's about creating that world that our parents came here and sacrificed a lot for, their dreams, their own hopes. And I, you know, I carry that weight a lot of times. Yeah. And also just empathy for people that are struggling and people who are disadvantaged. <laughs> I think they are by and large ignored in our society.
0: And your parents came from Iran in the mm. 70s. Mm. It was turmoil and tumult. And yeah. it was really awful. Yes. The Shah falling. Jason's parents came from Lebanon, right? And Lebanon obviously got uh, massacred. It's still, still today
4: yeah my young buck no yeah yeah there's there's a lot going on over there right now, especially with the the whole political climate it's shifting and yeah it's it's not even a good time to travel over there this year for yeah. those who would
0: All right. so I'm gonna blow you away for a second here okay. I met Hillary Clinton in 1991 mm. when she was the first lady of Arkansas. She and her husband, Bill. Woo-pig-sui. She
4: and her he husband, and Bill. Me and clutching our pearls, just so you know, for your came to Dr. Listeners.
0: Scott house to tell us that he was going to run for president of the United States. And we said, you're never, are you have governor of where? Mm.
1: Arkansas? <laughs> Give us a break. Our Kansas. And you she know, had a
0: little ponytail and these spectacles, big thick glasses on her nose. And I thought, lady, you are not ever going to be the first lady of the United States. You look like something out of Arkansas. Never say never. Never say never. Never, she but, still had a Southern accent but, at the time?
4: And, southern Hillary? And
0: what I remember is that she southern was Hillary. the bright one in the room. Bill was all glad-handy and shaking hands, but the real smart one in the room was Hillary Clinton.
4: Well, yeah. we agree. Well, I, I think mean, she's the real,
1: it's always been the case. She's the real revolutionary. <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. And, like, I, I cannot say enough times, if, if anyone listening, and John, you two, Uh, Watch the Hillary documentary that is on Mm. Hulu. It is uh, more than a documentary about a person. It is a very good exploration of uh, women's uh, rights and sexism in America and how sexism changes how we perceive people. Mm. And I say people very deliberately because it's she's a woman and then there's all these qualities we associate with a woman. But no, she's, she's a person and all people are equal. And that's what that, the documentary really drives home, how differently we view men and women. And can I just say that her candidacy, like we talk about
4: it this a lot, but like her candidacy wasn't just about our feminism, which I do consider myself a feminist and it was very important, but it was about anyone who is the other mm-hmm. And saying, I'm gonna break this barrier for anyone who doesn't fit into the mold of the white heteronormative man that is the it's the status quo. And that that's what it meant to a lot of people too. It wasn't stronger together. Yeah. And so for anyone who has a different skin color or a different is a different uh, you know, sexual orientation. It meant a lot to us, and that's why also maybe we were so disappointed. Yeah.
0: With our last minute left, people want to find out more about you guys. Where can they find you? Twitter, Instagram, Facebook? How do they find you?
4: All of the above, Twitter, Instagram, at Alex Mohajer, M-O-H-A-J-E-R. You can find us on at Bros for America on Facebook. We're still uh, Bros for Hillary slash Bros for America on Facebook. Visit us on the web, brosforamerica.com, the number four. The number four, not the word four. Yes. And just want to also plug the Stonewall Democrats. I'm their new public and media relations director, and uh, we're doing a lot of activism work in the L.A.
1: area. So StonewallDems.org. And I am Rance Collins, R-A-N-C-E-C-O-L-L-I-N-S. You can follow me at Rance Collins on Instagram and uh, Twitter. I'm trying to become a... more active tweeter so please follow me there Mm.
0: (laughs) okay thank you rance thank you alex gang before we leave wash your hands three or four times a day look out for flu-like symptoms including fever and a dry cough if you have a snotty cough you don't have coronavirus only a dry cough don't go to your doctors call ahead first off and we'll be back next week and so will all of you as we get through the coronavirus epidemic thanks for tuning in here on channel q